You're listening to KZOM, Oleander Public Radio. Recording by James K. White, Chula Vista. Astounding Stories 19, July 1931. The Diamond Thunderbolt by H. Thompson Rich. Part 3. Two hours later, they were back at the rocket. Led into the shack, which was furnished inside like an oriental hunting lodge, they were confronted at once by Prince Krasnov. Though his aristocratic features were immobile, it was obvious that he was in no amiable frame of mind. So, my friends, he exclaimed, I leave you in India and meet you again in America, all within a matter of hours. It is but an example of our modern progress, is it not? They made no reply. Ha! Huh. You are not sociable after enjoying my hospitality, my transportation? Then suppose we, as you Americans so quaintly say, call a spade a spade. I gave you your chance. You declined it. And what is the result? My beautiful diamond thunderbolt, my immeasurable treasure, is buried forever. Through no fault of ours, put in Stoddard. But buried nevertheless, and my adopted kingdom in revolt. Yet do not think I mourn too much, my friends. Though the game is what you call up, my plan shall go on. Here and elsewhere in the world, where we have sub-headquarters, are billions of dollars worth of diamonds, supplies for years ahead. We shall not suffer. But you, Professor Prescott and Dr. Stoddard, I have a very interesting fate in store for you. How would you care to make a little scientific expedition to Mars, say? Mars, gasped the professor. Yes, or Venus, or even Jupiter, not to mention the moon. Or how about the sun? That would be an interesting sphere for exploration. We don't know what you're talking about, said Stoddard, growing nettled. Why mince matters? Call a spade a spade if you're going to. What do you propose to do with us, now that you have us in your power? The prince paused, drew forth a long Russian cigarette from an exquisite platinum case. I propose, he smiled when he had lit it, to turn over my rocket to you, my fellow scientists, since I shall have no further use for it, and it might be embarrassing to be found with it in my possession. And the way he proposed to turn it over to them, as they had already suspected, was to lock them in it and fire it off into space. Within the hour, the man's diabolical plan had been put into operation. Led to the rocket, the luckless pair were locked within a small metal room somewhere within its recesses. There sounded again the peculiar rasping that told him its doors were being sealed, and then came the roar of that mighty exhaust beating down. There followed the lifting, rushing sensation they had experienced before, and again they were flung violently to the floor by the force of the upward impulse. When the pressure slacked, they staggered to their feet and groped around the dark, stuffy little room. Well, this is the end, I guess, sighed Professor Prescott. I had never thought, with a grim attempt at humor, that I would meet quite such a scientific fate as this. Nor had I, Stoddard agreed. But I'm not quite ready to cash in my checks yet. The game isn't over. 
he was pacing around the room knocking on the metal walls with something that gave back a strident ring have you any idea what composition this stuff is the professor rapped on one of the panels felt of it aluminum i would say nothing so lucky if it were i could cut it like cheese but duralumin probably a very light strong alloy and what i have here is a hunting knife with a can opener on one end if i'm not mistaken we'll be out of this sardine box before long whereupon he applied himself to the thin metal wall of their cell working determinately while professor prescott held his cigarette lighter for a torch you see duralumin yields to heat like aluminum he exclaimed as finally his knife thrust through now then let's get the can opener working the progress was slow but sure within an hour he had cut out a jagged section some two feet square through which they squeezed into an equally dark corridor now then stoddard's mood was exultant there must be switches around here somewhere there were lights i remember so let's find them once we get a little light on the subject here called the professor who had groped down the corridor with the cigarette lighter how's that as he pressed a switch a row of small bulbs glowed overhead fine was the answer now let's see if we can find the engine room or whatever they call it jubilant now they continued on down the corridor which ended in a flight of stairs i fancy it must be below said professor prescott from what i've seen of experimental models the propulsion impulse must originate from the base so they descended the stairs entered another dark corridor found another switch and pressed it and thus they proceeded lighting the interior of the rocket as they went and as they descended the roar of the exhaust increased in volume indicating that they were nearing its source presently they entered a large circular room with an illuminated dial at the far end drawing near they saw a confusion of instruments that for a moment left them dazed while stoddard studied them in bewilderment prescott circled the room till he found a switch pressing it he produced a brilliant flood of illumination now then let me have a look at this he said returning to the dial professor goddard once explained to me the workings of one of his experimental models the motive force must be some liquefied mixture possibly oxygen and hydrogen some of these instruments most of them in fact must be valves he touched one turned it and the rocket responded with a sickening burst of speed no that won't do we're going plenty fast enough now he touched another and they slacked off dizzyingly well there are two controls anyway now then how do we steer this thing that is the next problem we must solve but though he touched this instrument and that producing weird effects their course continued in the direction set and meanwhile they were hurtling outward through space at a rate of speed he knew would presently carry them beyond the gravitational pull of the earth then as he grasped and swung down a curious lever that worked in a quadrant they felt a violent lunge to the left and for a moment it seemed they would shoot to the ceiling good god gasped stoddard what's happened nothing 
only that I found how to steer this wild steed, cried the professor exultantly. It was really quite simple, he explained, as he eased up on the lever. In application, it was a development of the gyroscope principle, that a wheel revolving freely within a freely suspended frame tends to make the frame revolve in the other direction. You see, the rocket is the freely suspended frame, he went on while this lever controls a gyroscopic wheel somewhere. To set it spinning to the right causes us to turn to the left, and vice versa. But you almost stood us on our heads a moment ago. How did that happen? Simply because I threw the lever too far to the right. We are in interstellar space, obviously, where every change of direction involves an adjustment of equilibrium. And if Stoddard didn't exactly understand being first a secret service man and only secondarily a scientist at least he showed his ignorance no further if the professor could bring this astounding machine back to earth that was all he wanted prescott said he could he thought providing they had fuel enough left so for the next few minutes while the younger man held his breath the professor labored with the various instruments on that complicated dial now then i think we're headed back he said at length, relaxing. But we've got to have visibility. Otherwise, we will land with a velocity of about 20,000 miles an hour, which is what I figure we're making at the present time. Good Lord, gasped Stoddard. I'll say we've got to have visibility. Wait a minute. Let me look around. He searched the room for further instruments, to find nothing that in any way met the purpose. But even as he returned dejected, the professor cried out, Here, I've got it. Take a look at this. Bending over a small table beside the dial, Stoddard saw mirrored in its ground-glass surface a hazy circular panorama that at first had no significance. But as he continued to peer down upon the scene, certain familiar aspects loomed out. It was the Earth, and what he was looking at was a view of the North and South American continents. For some moments, Stoddard stared at this amazing panorama in silence, saw it grow rapidly clearer as the careening rocket plunged like a giant shell toward the earth. My God, he whispered at length in awe, do you think you can ever check our speed? I think so, the professor replied, busy over his instruments. But where do we want to land? How do we know what state we were in? whereupon stoddard told him of that texas license plate but we don't want to land anywhere near that fiend krasnov he added with a shudder i suggest if it's possible that you pick out some aerodrome preferably in the western part of the state for if i remember my geography texas isn't mountainous in the east i will do the best i can said prescott grimly there followed tense minutes as the panorama in that ground glass narrowed and grew more intense. Now they could see only North America, now only the United States and a portion of Mexico, and now only Texas. Back, back, cried Stoddard, as the rugged land loomed up, spread into a panorama of towns and ranches. We're descending too fast. We're bound to crash, unless but already the professor had touched the ascending valve and swung the steering lever. Up they zoomed again. 
once more a portion of mexico was visible on the glass and all along the international border now they could see a winding thread of silver the rio grande exclaimed the young geologist just follow it up toward its source till we come to el paso there'll be a landing field there yes undoubtedly the professor was working in abstraction over the unfamiliar controls now if i can just hold us on our course he succeeded and presently a white city gleamed over the curving rim of the horizon to the northwest the tall chimneys of its smelters throwing long shadows from the lowering sun beyond in a minute or two they were over it at a height of perhaps twelve miles and now as they began descending its patchwork of buildings and plazas unfolded like some great quilt below there's the field cried stoddard pointing in the glass to a wide clear space on the outskirts can you make it do you think we'll know soon was the grim answer as prescott worked frantically now with his valves and levers it's a matter of balancing off our flow of gases of holding up buoyancy to the very last a little too much or not enough and breathlessly as they descended stoddard peered into the glass now a scene of excitement was visible below figures could be seen gazing up waving their arms running about this way and that they must think they're getting a visit from another planet said stoddard or that the end of the world has come maybe it has for us agreed the professor gravely i'm afraid we're going to crash i can't seem to whatever he was going to add was lost in a sudden rending concussion that flung them violently down and plunged the room into darkness staggering to his feet a moment later bruised and shaken stoddard gasped out professor are you there are you all right a groan answered him and for a moment his heart sank but then came the reassuring call yes all right i guess and you okay let's get out of here quick an ominous hissing sound beat on their ears as they groped their way toward the door evidently escaping gases from the deranged mechanism thought stoddard the floor rose at an angle indicating that the rocket was half over on its side they found the door and struggled along the twisted corridor toward a flight of stairs that would lead below found it descended and groped along another dark corridor seeking an exit when suddenly around a bend daylight confronted them and to their joy they saw that one of the main doors had been burst open by the impact approaching it they peered out to be greeted by an awed group of officials and mechanics from the field as they climbed through dropped to the ground the group retreated taking no chances back called professor prescott warning and reassuring them with a word then turning to his companion come on jack run this thing is likely to explode at any moment following this advice stoddard raced from the rocket with the rest at a safe distance he turned and peered back to see it standing there at a crazy angle dust and fumes issuing from under it in a blast that was hollowing a deep crater to the far side even as they looked the strange craft quivered tottered and fell over on its side 
and the next instant was enveloped in a blinding sheet of flame that brought with it a dull detonation and a blast of dazing heat. The party backed still farther away. A nasty mixture, oxygen and hydrogen, muttered the professor, feeling of his singed eyebrows. We got out of there just in time, Jack. I'll say we did, Stoddard agreed with a shudder. By now, the higher officials of the field were on the scene, among them a number of army men. Curiosity ran high, not unmingled with indignation. Who were these strange visitors? Where had they come from? What did they mean by endangering the lives of everyone with their damned contraption? Inquiring for the commandant, they were taken to him, Major Clark Hendricks, USA and Stoddard briefly outlined their astounding story, producing credentials, whereupon a squadron of fast military planes was assembled. From the way they described the mountainous region where the rocket had first landed, mentioning the town Martin's Bluff, that Henry of the ancient Ford had named, the Major declared that it must have been the Guadalupe Mountains, a hundred miles to the east, and sure enough, a government map showed such a town there, so it was that presently the squadron lifted into the late afternoon skies with Major Hendricks in the leading plane, accompanied by the two weary adventurers. Swiftly the squadron winged eastward. They reached the mountains in less than an hour, and circled them in search of that little wooden shack which Prince Krasnov and his Cossacks had made their rendezvous. It was like finding a needle in a haystack, and for a time Stoddard despaired of success. But those rugged mountains were an open book to the plains circling high overhead, and with Martin's Bluff once located, the rest was not so hard. At last, as twilight was falling, they found the shack and brought their planes to rest near it. But as the party approached the shack, after posting a heavy guard over their planes, they saw that it was deserted. This, after all, was only what Stoddard had feared, but nevertheless they forced their way inside, and there, had Major Hendricks had any doubt of their story, it was dispelled. As Stoddard had told them, it was furnished like an oriental hunting lodge, with evidences of the recent occupation of the Russians on all sides. But where were they? Had they got away, or were they hiding somewhere? Proceeding from room to room until they had searched it thoroughly, the party paused, baffled. But not for long, for suddenly Stoddard discovered something that gave him a clue. It was a barred door within a closet, covered over with clothes and uniforms so as to be fairly well concealed. On battering it in, they found that it led into a passage below. As the party entered the passage, leaving further guards above, it became obvious that what they had found was the shaft of an old mine. It led down abruptly for a while, then more gradually, with many windings and twistings and ending presently in another barred door. This they in turn battered in, to be greeted suddenly by a volley of rifle fire that dropped three of them in their tracks. Stoddard was one of those who fell. Bending over him, Professor Prescott lifted up his head. Jack, he called. Where are you hit? Answer me. I... It seems to be in the shoulder, came the weak reply. If you've got a handkerchief, 
the professor produced one and staunched the flow of blood as best he could working with the aid of his flashlight meanwhile ahead the crash of pistols and rifles continued to split the stillness of the passage as the attacking party pressed forward there that does it gasped stoddard at length help me up i'll be all right prescott steadied him to his feet they continued on now the firing ceased and in a moment major hendricks appeared at the head of his party well we've got them he said saluting stoddard how are you old man all right was the gritted reply let's have a look at them a flashlight was swept across the stolid group of cossack prisoners but as stoddard peered into one face after another he realized that krasnov was not among them you haven't got the leader he said see here you birds he addressed the cossacks where is he eh if they understood they gave no indication of it but shook their heads sullenly well damn it we'll find him stoddard wheeled and strode past them give me three or four men major i'll smoke out that russian bear he must be here somewhere hendricks sent the main body above with their prisoners and gave him the men he wanted putting himself at their head you'd better go on up too professor said stoddard addressing prescott you've risked enough in my behalf but the older man shook his head no i'll come along if you don't mind he insisted i want to see the end of this thing it was an end that came with dramatic suddenness pausing before a barred door some fifty paces down the passage they were debating what their next move would be when suddenly it was flung open come in gentlemen came a suave ironical voice sorry my servants were so uncivil in the glare of light from beyond stoddard and the professor saw that it was prince krasnov he stood there unarmed smiling is this the fellow rasped major Hendricks. his automatic leveled it is said stoddard slowly cautiously they followed the man into the room which in reality was merely the end of the passage sealed off though its walls were richly panelled and it was luxuriously furnished pausing beside a small heavy table he swept his hand over it indicating a heap of rough diamonds that must have represented millions merely a fraction of my treasure gentlemen he told them with a deprecating shrug i hadn't quite finished storing away the last shipment when you interrupted me he strode to one of the walls drew out a small drawer from a built-in cabinet and dumped its glittering contents on the table with the rest all around the room stoddard noted as he stood there swaying were other cabinets dotted with the knobs of similar drawers and this gentleman is but my american sub-headquarters the prince went on in siberia in brazil but why bore you with the multiplication of my now useless wealth tell me instead my good friends professor prescott dr stoddard how come you back here after i saw you safely on your way earlier in the afternoon because i happen to have a knack with can openers and my colleague is rather adept at machinery stoddard told him while major Hendricks here is quite a hand at geography not to mention aviation a question or two which they answered briefly and krasnov had the story ah my poor rocket he sighed but it is fate i suppose 
kismet as the turkish say still i deserve a better fate than to be captured by a pair of american professors when the secret service of the world was on my trail then cheer up said stoddard gritting his teeth to keep back the pain of his throbbing shoulder for i have the honor to represent washington in this case at that the prince scowled darkly for a moment then he brightened kismet again i might have acted differently had i known that but well i drink to your success dr stoddard whereupon before they could restrain him he lifted a vial from a shelf over one of the cabinets and downed its contents a diamond dust cocktail he smiled replacing the vial the most expensive even in your country of costly drinks and the most deadly but stoddard knew as the doomed nobleman stood there facing them in stoic triumph that diamond dust in the human system was as slow as it was deadly and that the desperate gesture had been futile so far as justice was concerned there would be ample time in the weeks prince krasnov of imperial russia still lived to round up his international allies and stamp out the remnants of their amazing ring of diamond smugglers while as for professor prescott he was thinking with what amazement the members of his expedition back on kinchinjunga would receive the cablegram he would dispatch that night informing them that stoddard and himself were safe in el paso texas end of section 10 recording by james k white chula vista